being said, Pastor Stan, I said it earlier, I say it every time, thank you so much for allowing me to speak this morning. You love these people. You, you, and that you would trust me to, to use this pulpit to speak. I appreciate it so very much. As we get into this this morning, I just want to say, uh, I, I, I'm going to preface it a little bit because I think I have a little bit of righteous indignation this morning, and that's okay. Uh, simply because we came in for worship team practice, and uh, if you know this phrase and if you work with computers at all, I had to reroute the entire soundboard channel by channel inputs and outputs, so double, uh, for each specific instrument and everything that we do so that the way it would work in here. We didn't practice band practice until about 9.05, and we had to get hurry up and get done. We got off the stage to get a sip of water to get back on the stage to start service. Uh, and I, I've learned this. What the devil means to distract and pull from, I know that God is trying to do something. And so today, if I seem a little upset, it's because I am. If I seem a little angry, it's because I am. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin, so I'm gonna be angry all I want. But with that, I also at the same time want you to know that I am gonna say things today, I'm gonna confront things, I'm gonna address things, uh, because I believe that as a pastor, but more so as a friend, to say, hey, come on, let's link shoulders together here, let's put our arm around each other, and let's do this thing. Like, let's move forward. Um, so. If I offend you today, it's because I'm trying to. Um, I'm just kidding. I love you all so very much. With that being said, though, let's dive into it. Anybody, anybody ever been in a crowd before? Uh, Christmas Eve service 2022, this room, right? I mean, wow. We had over 500 people in here that night, and uh, that, that's just, that's insane. We shouldn't be able to have that many people in here, but I think God expanded the walls just like he's doing so to my waist. But... <clears throat> I, I'm, I blame it on God, but really it's the brownie's fault. I mean my fault. I, I'm not a fan of crowds. Like, I love people. But when there's like a whole lot of people in like a tiny little place, I'm not a big fan of it. I.e. Disneyland, Christmas Day, I think the year was 2016. It was insane. We thought it'd be a wonderful idea. We have Tatum. We have Riker. We're going to be the best parents ever. Let's take them to Disneyland on Christmas Day. So we wake up and we're not opening presents. We're pulling out tickets, right? And so we are pumped. We are excited. We get over to Disneyland. We get there like an hour and a half, two hours early before the gates even open. We are eating our beignets from the Jazz Kitchen and life is bliss. It is wonderful. I did not know, however, though, that on Christmas Day, it's one of their highest attended days of the year. We thought, no, people are gonna be home opening presents. No. Everyone thought, like I did that year. If you weren't at Disneyland that year, you were probably one of five families that was not at Disneyland. Like, it was insane. It was absolutely insane that day. They actually had to close the gates to the park at 11 a.m. because they had already reached max capacity. So we were like, hey, let's go get more beignets in the jazz kitchen. And the guy was like, hey, if you leave, you ain't come back in. And I was like, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. Thank you for telling me because we are supposed to be here today, right? And so anyways, at this time, Riker was, I think he was two or three. And anyways, he was in a stroller. And so everywhere we went in Disneyland, with the huge crowd, we had a stroller to get through. So if you think just walking by people is hard, no. The stroller walking by people is extremely difficult. So I, I, we were walking and going, and it's all day of this. I mean, it is like six, seven o'clock at night. It's getting dark, the sun finally goes down, and we're getting ready for fireworks, and we are all pumped. And this dude had the audacity. Everyone say audacity. audacity. 
This dude I don't know, not Riker dude, this other dude I don't know. To grab Riker's stroller with Riker in it, pick it up and move it so that he could get by. I'm letting you know right now, this pastor lost all patience. I was ready to fight. Like I was like, oh no, who do you think you are? But he was already gone and thank God for that because I probably can't fight him anyways. So I was like, no way, this, this actually happened not once, not twice, it actually happened a few times. Someone actually physically with their hand moved our stroller with my baby boy in it while I'm trying to walk. And so I realized in that moment, I no longer have a stroller. I now have a people lawnmower. And I'm going to use this puppy the way God intended today, right? There are bloody ankles everywhere. I just gave up all care and concern for my neighbor. And I made sure they knew Stevie is coming through. And I just literally just pushed through people. People were saying, ow, little kids were crying. I didn't care. I kicked their shin as I walked by. I did not care. I was angry. I did not kick any kid's shin, just or chin. I did not kick any chins either. I was angry. Any ounce of patience that I thought I had, I lost in that moment. No, and you think I'm kidding? I am not kidding. I literally pushed through the crowds and people were like diving and falling out of the way because I was done, right? You are not going to move my stroller anymore. And I know it's not your fault, but I'm blaming you, right? And we just pushed on through. I did not care. But anyways, if you're anything like me, you've probably said no to a couple things because of the crowds. Another example, this past Christmas, wasn't a wonderful Christmas season. I mean, just absolutely wonderful. Snow, old December, it was just beautiful, right? Christmas tree lighting, I always want to call it the fountains because if you're from Rockland, California, you know exactly what I'm talking about, but it's the village, the village, the village, the village. Uh, they do the Christmas tree lighting every year and me and Kristen are sitting there like, man, it's going to be so great. We're going to take the kids. Oh man, it's just going to be wonderful. We did not know that it was going to be like Christmas at Disneyland, right? So day of we saw on facebook the event and i was like yes we're going to that we're going to rule the world at that it's going to be amazing the kids are going to cry because the tree is going to be so pretty it's going to be wonderful right <clears throat> and also we paused we're like hey hold on a second like this is literally like a couple hours before we're about to leave and we're like uh last year was, was pretty busy wasn't it like yeah that yeah, was pretty busy do we really want to go <laughs> No, I don't think I want to go. And we started thinking about the crowds. We started thinking about the people and everyone trying to slam in around the fountain. You might as well just get in the fountain so that way you can actually, you know, have space. And we're like, yeah, never mind. So we made brownies, hot cocoa, had a wonderful night watching the elf or whatever we were doing that night. But we said no to it because of the crowd. I'm, I'm sure you said no to something before because of the crowds. A couple weeks ago, a pastor started this series. We've unofficially titled it. I don't think we even have like an official title, but Decisions and Destinations. And it has led us into the early years of the ministry of Jesus. Specifically, we're looking at Mark chapter five. And, and there's these three stories or these three miracles that, that happen in this chapter back to back to back. But to, to drive this point home more clearly today, you have to understand that the second and the third miracle together uh, are marked together. They are woven together. You cannot understand one miracle without understanding the other miracle that takes place. And so we're going to get into this today, but as I do, you have to understand something as well, that because Jesus is going around performing miracles, Jesus was constantly surrounded by people. Jesus was constantly surrounded by people. I mean, everywhere he went, people are crowding around him. How do I know this? 
from Mark chapter 1, verse 1, until Mark chapter 5, verse 21, the word crowd is used 16 times. That's not even a full five chapters, and crowd, or crowds, or multitude, has been mentioned 16 times. People are always around Jesus. This makes it very challenging to get to Jesus. This is why Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God in heaven and the Holy Spirit is active and moving on the face of the earth today in us and through us, around us, in this church, in your life. Can we just stop and just pause and acknowledge that we do not have to ask the Holy Spirit to be here today? We don't have to ask that God would be with us. He is with you, always. He never leaves you. He never abandons you. He never walks away from you. And I think most of the time, we don't feel his presence because we don't acknowledge his presence. And it's not because you didn't say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We didn't sing that song today. Uh-oh. What are we to do? We are to go on and acknowledge his presence. So before we go any further, friends, family, can we do something right now? Stop and acknowledge Holy Spirit. Thank you for being with us today. Holy Spirit, you are great and you are mighty and we worship you. We honor you this morning. Holy Spirit, speak through us. Speak through me to your people. Not my words, but let your words resonate in hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are with us. Can we lift up a shout of praise to the Holy Spirit that he is with us today? Even online, in the coffee shop, lift up his name. Let's do it. So last week, anyways, Pastor led us through... The first miracle found in, in Mark chapter 5 and how Jesus was told to leave the city. Hey, get out of here. The crowd pushed Jesus away. They were either terrified of Jesus because he's casting out demons or they're mad at Jesus because he killed 2,000 pigs. I don't know what it is, but Jesus was into BLTs. And he's like, hey, we need a lot of bacon. Kill the pigs, right? And so 2,000 pigs die. I don't know what happened, but I might make a BLT today just in reference to this. But anyways, Jesus loads up on the boat. He travels to another city. He gets over there and is met by another crowd. So let's pick up right there and let's, let's dive into these stories and make sure we understand what's going on here. Mark chapter five, verse 22 through 20, 34. Sorry, it's 12, 12 scriptures, three slides on the screen. Bear with me, let's do it. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and once he saw Jesus, fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. He went off with him and a large crowd, this is now the 17th crowd mentioned in the book of Mark, was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years endured much at the hands of many, turn to your neighbor and say many, many physicians and spent all that she had and was not helped at all but had rather grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, for she thought, if I touch his garment, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around to the crowd and said, who touched me? And his disciples said to him, you see this crowd pressing on you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this, but the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. 
See, as I started studying this and started preparing for today, I had a, I had a, a couple of thoughts I need to get these off my mind. First glances here, first up is, is that Jairus has a daughter and his daughter is dying. I would be telling Jesus, we don't have time to stop to find out who touched you today. Everyone's touching you, Jesus. Everyone's bumping shoulders. Everyone's reaching out for a high five. Everyone's reaching out for a fist pump. Whatever it may be, Jesus, everyone is touching you. We don't have time to ask that question. My daughter is at the point of death. If I was Jairus, I'm just being real, I'd be a little angry with Jesus. Why are we stopping for this? This is unimportant. Her hemorrhage is not visible, it's not seen. Why are we stopping? Let's go. My daughter's dying, Jesus. So I'm just being real with you this morning. If I was Jairus, I'd be a little upset. The second thought that comes to my mind right off the bat is if, if you have been watching The Chosen, any, any Chosen fans in here? There we go. Okay, a whole bunch of you. Uh, I, I have not watched The Chosen. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hold your tomatoes. Um, I have not seen it. Um, I, I'm sorry. I, please forgive me. I don't know if I'm like required to, like as a Christian, to watch Chosen, but I haven't watched it. However, um, I had like 20 people tell me, you need to watch The Chosen. If you're preaching on that, you need to watch The Chosen, Pastor Stevie. I'm telling you right now that I made so much time in my week to not watch The Chosen. However, as I scrolled through Instagram, apparently I had time for that. I did actually see my, my feed was flooded with the scenes from the chosen episode. Be Becky knows. Becky, what episode is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one. Episode five, season three. Okay. I told you Becky would know. Thank you. Thank you. Season three, episode five. And it was all over my Instagram. I mean, everywhere. I couldn't get away from it. I was like, Lord, I know. Right, I still, didn't, I still didn't make time. I don't think that was God telling me to watch it, by the way. I just, it was everywhere. And you see this scene where this lady falls at the feet of Jesus. And actually, the scene actually did a really good job at her explaining, I've broken the rules. I, I knew I wasn't supposed to be. I knew I wasn't supposed to touch you. So I was very cautious to only touch the cloth that your skin touches. However, there, there's an issue because according to the law of Moses, what this woman is supposed to, woman is supposed to be doing is away. According to the law, she, she can barely even leave her house. If that, if she can even be in her house, you are unclean. We all know that a woman goes through a monthly cycle. I have to be very caught. I don't know how to say this on a platform, okay? So I'm gonna be very gentle and, and walk around this thing, okay? I'm a husband, I learned, okay? It's okay, it's okay, chocolates, here you go. Anyways. <laughs> Anything else, Pastor, I'll do anything you need, right? Uh, a woman goes through this issue, and so for her, every month, she knew, okay, and for every other woman, they just knew, okay, this is what happens, and during this week, uh, this is what my body's gonna do, but it also means that I can't go to church, I can't be around people, I've gotta basically stay home, stay away from my husband, stay away from my kids, I, I am unclean. So the problem with this, though, is that she's been in this cycle that's supposed to happen once a month for 12 years nonstop. Uh, I'm just saying, that's pain, that's hurt, that, that's blood that she is losing on a constant basis. This poor lady is hurting. Does that negate the rules? Does that mean that she can just do whatever she wants then? No, she's still bound by the law of Moses to stay away. Even if you take the teachings of Jesus, go New Testament with this. 
Even if the teaching of Jesus were done, the crucifixion was done, the resurrection was done of Jesus, bring it to the New Testament teachings, love your neighbor as yourself, technically she's still unclean around them. So hold on a second. You are breaking the rules. And yet it seems like she gets rewarded for it. Why? Because her faith was steadfast. Her faith was in it saying, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to press into Jesus. See, the, the, the gospel message of Jesus is founded on faith, not on rules, not on religion. And this is why the Pharisees have a, such a hard time accepting the teachings of Jesus because it gave salvation freely without behavior modification. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that behaviors don't change. Your behaviors should change. If you come in contact with Jesus and you don't change, hate to break it to you, you did not come in contact with Jesus. It's just the, the harsh truth. I remember growing up and being a kid, being a teenager, and we had these, you know, revival nights or whatever, and it'd go, you'd have church Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and you'd have all these things. And, and you know, I'm not going to knock anything today. I'm not going to speak against anything today. But people would come up and they'd get like slain in the spirit. They'd fall over. They'd shake or whatever. And... A lot of stuff was happening at the altars. I was a kid. I, I, I was like, what's going on here? God, this is kind of weird. And I was almost like an atheist at the time anyways. I didn't really believe, but I was having a hard time understanding. And then I see these people have like these moments at an altar. And then you find out like a week later, they cheated on their wife or their husband. And you're like, hold on, what? Like how in the world did you come in contact with Jesus and yet go out and do something so drastic? So, so crazy, so wild. I mean, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that sin is, you know, one sin is worse than another, but when you do something so obvious and so plain as day that anybody can see, it's like, oh, hold on a second, what, what's going on here? The reality is that person, they came to the altar, they might have shaken, they might have fallen over, but they didn't meet Jesus. I, I'm, I'm not knocking it, I'm all for it, man. God can do whatever he wants to do and please knock your boy out. I'm all for it. However... If I walk out of this room unchanged after a moment at this altar, at a moment in a seat or a moment on a platform, if I walk out unchanged, I didn't have church. I had a social club and I put on an act. I want change. Therefore, I'm going to go meet the change maker. If you meet with Jesus, you will walk out changed today. I promise you that. Behaviors will change. However, it wasn't Jesus' main goal. His main goal was faith that we would come and believe that he is the son of God. Moving on here, we got this lady and she's in this crowd and she doesn't belong in this crowd. She's not supposed to be there. However, she doesn't care about what anyone thinks anymore. And if I'm honest, I, I, I hate that this lady is remembered as the woman with the issue with blood. Like if you look up on Google, the woman with the issue of the blood or in your Bible, it might even have in bold print, the woman with the issue of blood. I can't stand that about her. Well, about this, about the story, I, I cannot stand that. Because if anything, she should be known as the woman who became undignified. Or, or the woman who was courageous. Or the woman who don't care what you think no more, homie. Like, give her something. But to attach her affliction to her identity, I have an issue with. Because she's not the woman with the issue of blood. She has an issue with blood. She isn't an issue with blood. She has one. She realized this truth that you and I need to walk out of here accepting today. Your condition is not your conclusion. Stop 
stop accepting your condition as your conclusion. As long as you accept it, he won't touch it. And for so long, we just accept that what is going on is, this is what I'll always be, this is what I'll always have. We turn into like Eeyore. Well, I guess this is just how it is. Like, I know pastor wanted like Forrest Gump today, you know, a box of chocolates, right? Or he even said a British man and just get up here and talk. No, it's Eeyore today, it is Eeyore today, okay? Stop being Eeyore. Stop accepting your condition as your conclusion. It's not your conclusion. God has something great and grand and exciting for you. He, he even has hard times prepared for you so that he can walk with you through those things. God is for you today. It is not your conclusion. It is a simple condition. I don't know what you're dealing with today. It's impossible for one person to know every single person's story in this room, every single testimony in this room. It is absolutely impossible. Pastor Stan cannot know every single one of you and your entire life story. That's why we have a team of pastors to come together so that we can be interacting with as many people in this church as possible, as many people in this city as possible to know stories, to know what's going on with people and to keep everyone connected. It's a team. It is impossible for one person to know the truth of everybody. So I don't know what you might be dealing with today. But on behalf of God, I tell you, your condition is not your conclusion. God has something for you. Don't accept it as your conclusion. And again, if you accept it, he won't touch it. So this lady's unclean. She's in a crowd making everyone else unclean with every shoulder she bumps. And she's taking the risk of making Jesus unclean. She fought through the crowd to get to what she knew she needed. I'm gonna tell you right now, you and I are gonna fight crowds. Your life as a follower of Jesus, you are going to fight the crowds to get to them. That's just the truth. Number one, you're gonna first fight the crowd of the world. All too often we, st- we fail to stand up for our faith because we feel it would be unwelcome. We feel like, oh man, if I say anything about my faith, about who I am, about what Jesus has done for me, it's gonna be unwelcome. I have some news for you this morning. Let me set you free. It is unwelcome. It is. However, that doesn't change what Jesus said. He said, go and preach the gospel. Go and preach the gospel. Get out there and tell people what I have done for you. Isn't that what Jesus told everyone? Go, tell everyone. Over and over, he even told a couple people, hey, don't say anything because the crowds are gonna overwhelm me. So don't say anything right now. And those people still went out and they told everyone, why? Because when you meet with Jesus, you can't help but talk about it. It's another sign. You're gonna walk out changed, you're gonna walk out with your mouth talking. I wanna leave those doors today, not because I'm a preacher with a, a microphone in my hand. I wanna walk out those doors today so I'm going, wow, God, you really did something really cool there. I wanna walk out talking. That's a sign of meeting with Jesus. Go and preach the gospel. It will be unwelcome. Jesus said in another portion of scripture, go and invite everyone to the party. It's a sign of what he was doing. So they went out and they, they, you know, he's telling a story. They went out and they tried to invite everyone to the kingdom. Say, hey, yeah, come to the party. Come to the party. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And no one came. And so Jesus said, fine, go to the highways and the byways. Go to the slums and the, and the gutters and invite anyone and everyone. It's a sign that, that God is like, hey, I reached out to Israel. Come to the kingdom. And they've actually turned me aside. And so now I'm turning to the Gentiles. That is you and me if we are not of Jewish descent. And Jesus says, I'm going to invite them now to the party. And what do you know? People started showing up. People started coming to this party, right? But 
even still, some people wouldn't come. And that's with the king inviting them. Of course, people are going to reject you. But it never changes the command of inviting people to Jesus. We are commanded to go and preach. And for so long, I think we've treated church like it's the, the, the pinnacle of the get my friend saved place. You're the one who has the relationship with the friend. Invite them over for dinner. Sit down with their family. Share your story. Tell them what God has done for you. Pray with them right there at your table. Especially if they're in your dining room. What are they going to do? Walk out and leave right on the spot? No, it's not going to happen. Well, okay, they might. <laughs> but they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting him. I'll tell you right now, it is not just the pastor's job to get up behind a pulpit to preach the gospel. That is your job to preach the gospel. Our job is to come together and to have someone get up and share a word of like, hey, let's do this thing, let's get after this thing and stir you and fan the flame, the gift of God inside of you. Meet together, pray together, worship together and go get them, dog. That, that's what church is, by the way. That's what it's supposed to be. People should be getting saved at your dining room table, in your living room. That, that's where people should be getting saved. You have the relationship with them. You are 25 steps ahead of a pastor with a microphone. Share your story. What has God done for you? Give it to them. They are going to reject you. Get over it. I don't mean to be rude or blunt. I'm just gonna be real. Preaching doesn't require a pulpit. It requires your voice in their ears. Go preach the gospel. You will be unwelcome. You will be turned away, but you cannot let the crowd stop you. The second type of crowd you're gonna fight is what crowds in your mind. Do I know where I'm going and am I making steps to go that way? Where is your focus this morning? Here, here's, here's what I've learned. When, when I decide to like dedicate moments of prayer, right? Like, oh, the next like 10 minutes, I'm just gonna go and pray and just, that's gonna be awesome. So I, I go away to pray, right? I get away. I'm like, oh yes. All right, here I am, I'm praying. Jesus, thank you for this day. And all of a sudden I'm like, man, I remember my fifth birthday when I had that like little jump house. That thing was awesome. Man, that was cool. Man, and Zach came over and he, he brought me that Tonka truck. Man, I was so, anybody else? And the next thing you know, like, how's Zach doing? So you pull out your phone, you're like on Instagram, like, how's Zach doing? Like, I'm gonna scroll through, right? It's been like 30 minutes and you're just like laughing at reels as you scroll on by, right? Like, you laugh because you know it's true. Thank you for making me know that I'm not alone in this. But it's like the harder I try to focus on Jesus, the more distractions that come, right? It's like constant. It's like, my goodness, can I please just get some time to focus? I don't know, I probably have adult ADHD and a very severe case because my gosh, you give me 30 minutes into prayer and I'm like, do, 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 do. Like, it's crazy. I am so lucky I can actually get through a sermon. I've thought about food at least five times since I started. Right? It's like my brain is like an unleashed dog chasing a car. It's just gone. Right? It's, the harder I try, it seems like the more that pops up. It's so easy for our minds to lose focus. It's so easy for distractions to get thrown away, especially in times of prayer, in times of worship, in times of the sermon. Wake up. Right? It, it's extremely difficult to focus sometimes. We live in a world where anxiety is at an all-time high. To be real with you, I've looked up the stats before. The stats are out, outrageous. I did not look them up this past week, so I'm not gonna give you numbers, because I don't know, right? But we have these wonderful devices that we just love that eat our faces all day long, these cell phones. 
right? And it just takes our focus. It takes our attention. It takes everything from us. We live in a day and age where information is more accessible than ever before. You have every ounce of it. You want to find out what was in the library in Alexandria 5,000 years ago? Go look it up. You'll find it. It's crazy how much information we have available right now. Right? Even as I'm talking, you're probably thinking, I just want to get on Instagram real quick. I just want to see what's going on in the world. I don't care if it's Instagram. I don't care if it's Facebook. I don't care if it's the news app. It can be the stock app for all I care. If it is pulling you away from Jesus, let me tell you right now, if it pulls you from this, it is your enemy. I don't care what it is. Anything that pulls you from this is your enemy. And until you see it that way, it will continue to dominate your life. This lady... For years, 12 years, her, her ideas, her thoughts of what would heal her dragged her away from Jesus until one day she realized, that's my enemy. I'm going to him now. He's the only one who can do this. So right now, for your situation, Jesus is the only one who can do it for you. And whatever is pulling you from this has officially become your enemy. And I am not gonna allow the, the cares of this world to crowd out my focus my direction and my decisions. I am going to follow Jesus as best I possibly can. <clears throat> See, it's nonstop crowding in your mind. And this lady knew, if I can just push aside the doctors, if I can push aside my plans, push aside what I've been trying and just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And she wouldn't allow any distraction or fear of rejection stop her from her goal. So my question today is, where are you headed Right now, if you continue making decisions as you've been making them, where will you end up? It's the classic question, what do you wanna do with your life that we ask to seniors that for some reason we stop asking. I'm 34, I still got plans for my life. I still got things I wanna do. I didn't stop asking the question when I graduated high school. What do you wanna do with your life? I'm, let me tell you, you got a half hour, I'll sit down, I'll tell you what I wanna do. I wanna do some great and mighty things for God that I'm nowhere near touching yet. Are you focused? Where's your family's focus today? If you keep allowing your family to make decisions the way they've been making decisions, where will your family end up? Get, I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna, I did it first service, I'm gonna do it again. You know, know what I cannot stand anymore? If, if I can vent this morning, pastor, you, you, you know what I'm gonna say. He's gonna pick up the pieces next week. I can't stand anymore for years. This is for years. Man, I'm gonna address you right now. Can't stand that when we say, hey, we're gonna have a prayer meeting and only ladies show up. I, for real? For, for real? Come on, men. You know what the Bible says about us, men? You are the spiritual head of your home. And I got nothing against ladies. I had ladies, you're wonderful, amazing. However, it is the husband's job to lead the home spiritually. And if the husband is gonna sleep on Jesus, your family will sleep on Jesus. I'm, I'm gonna dread, I'm going there today, I don't care. You wanna get mad at me, please. I told you I'm gonna offend you today. Men specifically, where are you? Come on, men. We should be leading the charge. We should be pressing into Jesus in times of worship, pulling on the sermons. We should be the ones going home and leading our families in prayer. We should be the ones setting the tone and the atmosphere in our homes. 
But instead, we just sleep on Jesus. I find it no coincidence that the disciples slept on Jesus all the time. I find that no coincidence that men were sleeping when Jesus needed them most. Right now, in 2023, Jesus needs you, attentive and alert men. Don't sleep on them. Don't sit back and just wait. No, it is time as men to be the spiritual head of our homes and lead our families to Jesus. But as long as you allow football or sports or your work or whatever it may be, your vice, as long as you allow that to be the leading charge of your life, you will never lead your family to Jesus. And I don't mean to sound rude, but I do mean to sound blunt. It is time that men of this church, men of every church, men of our nation start to stand up instead of being wussies and lead. It is time, men. About to have a locker room chat. It's time for us men to get after this thing and to lead our families the way this thing tells us to. And we sit there and we wonder, why doesn't my kids follow Jesus? Why, why don't my kids love Jesus? Why don't my kids serve God? I hate to break it to you, but whose fault is that? Oh, it's the pastor's fault. That's, the, that's definitely the pastor's fault. Really? We as pastors get you for like an hour a week. You live with your kids. Lead them, guide them, instruct them, teach them. They don't have an option. We go to church. My kids, the other day, Tatum lied. My daughter, I know, crazy, right? Human beings, <laughs> not my kids, right? And I was like, who is this demonic person trying to take over my child? And I mean, you, you, Kristen and I, like, well, that's one thing for us. You do not lie. We do not lie. Like, that is not what happens. When I instructed Tatum, I didn't tell her, hey, don't lie. That's rude. I sat down. I said, Tatum, hold on. We don't do that. That is not who we are. We are honest people. So when you lie, you are pushing aside the family to get your way. No, 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 no. We, as one, don't do that. That is not who we are. It's about time we start having some we conversations in our homes. No, we seek Jesus. No, we pray. We follow him. We go to church. It is no longer an option. My mama dragged me to church. Put my Royal Rangers outfit on me every Wednesday night. Department 321, I'm ready. I hated it. But my mama grabbed me by my ear or anything she could grab a hold of and she would pull me to church. It wasn't an option. Why is it an option anymore, mom and dad? It's not an option. You want your kids following Jesus? You do what it takes to get them there. It's your job. I don't mean to sound rude, but come on. I had someone walk up to me one time when I was a youth pastor, right? It was like four years ago and they go, Pastor Stevie, work your magic on her. And I was like, Alakazam, like, what do you want me to do? Like, it was a staff pastor too at that. And I was like, for real? Like, oh, it's, it's my responsibility to raise your child. I, I see what this is now. No, it is not pastor's job to raise kids. It's your job as parents to raise kids. Start having some we conversations in the living room. Anyways, I gotta get back to this. For 12 years, this lady had spent all her money 
all the, the, the crowds in her mind telling her what she cannot do, who she cannot be, trying to prevent her. She had lost all her reputation. She had lost all her focus. And she had to reclaim it and say, I'm going to Jesus. I'm going to be determined to get to Jesus today. He's my only hope. Why? Because number three, the crowds of defeat that we will all face. For 12 years, this lady faced defeat. I don't know how long you've been facing defeat in your situation, in your life. I don't know what's been going on. I know mine. I know, I know what's going on in my life, and I know where I got defeat. And for so long, I'm tired of, of being the type who just says, I'm not going to risk anything. I'm, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to roll over and let this thing happen. No, 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 no. This lady was already unclean. She was already rejected. She was already humiliated. But she'd rather face that embarrassment than live with this any longer. She had walked in defeat. You have walked in defeat. My question is this, when is enough enough? When is it finally gonna be enough? And if I'm honest with you this morning, we don't see Jesus healing our situations because like I said earlier, we've come to accept them. Like, oh, this is just what it is. This is is what I have to deal with. This is what I struggle with. This is the sin, the temptation that always comes my way. This is it. No, the Bible says, push it aside. You will have defeat. Push it aside. I'm done giving in and rolling over. I'm sure you are too. The devil will not tell me how to live my life anymore. And I hope you walk out of those doors with that same indignation. The devil will not tell you how to live your life anymore. We are going to pursue Jesus. That's who we are. We are going to risk our reputation for the city of Cuna. We are going to risk our money for the sake of Cuna. We are going to risk our acceptance for the sake of Cuna. Why? Because he is worth it. He is worth that risk. We are going to do what we can to connect with this community to show them, to preach to them the gospel message, the saving power of God through Jesus Christ. And I am not going to have a divided loyalty. Neither are you. The book of James tells us, do not have a divided loyalty because those with a divided loyalty should not to expect to receive anything from him. Well, I need to receive. You need to receive. Therefore, we will not have a divided loyalty. We will pursue him wholeheartedly. Let me get in the wrap this up. Worship team, get back up here. You guys are awesome. We're going we're gonna to close in just a few minutes. Uh, any, any staff in the room or any uh, board members or life group leaders, I'm going to ask you to be ready in a few minutes to come on up and we're going to lead people in prayer. If you need prayer this morning, we're going to pray with you. But for 12 years, this lady knew I'm unclean. I am rejected. I am pushed aside. I'm an outcast. Let's read it again. Mark chapter five, verse 30. Immediately, Jesus perceiving in himself that power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched me? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing on you and you have the audacity, Jesus, to say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this, but the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. If you watched The Chosen, you you saw this scene this past week where she falls down and she's in tears and she's crying and saying, Jesus, it was me. Why is she so upset? It's like she got a healing and now she has to face the punishment of her actions. That's what's going through her mind. And so when Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? The lady's scared. 
Like I'm healed, but now I gotta deal with the consequences of what I've done. I've broken the rules, I've broken the law. And so now I'm unclean, I'm unworthy to be here. And here comes my rebuke, here comes my orders, here comes my punishment. And so she's sitting there and she's got this punishment on her way, she thinks, when the exact opposite is what happens. Jesus turns to her and says, daughter. There's not a better thing that God can say to you. None. Men, when he calls you son, it is the most intimate place you could be with him. Ladies, when he calls you daughter, it's the most intimate place you could be with him. Why? It's family. In that moment of her expecting rejection, expecting a correction, expecting rebuke, instead she's embraced as a daughter. For 12 years, she hasn't felt acceptance. For 12 years, she hasn't felt that anybody cared. And Jesus comes in with one of the strongest words in the human language, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. There's not something better that Jesus could say to her in that moment. What she needed in her heart was acceptance. What she needed in her body was healing. She got a whole revelation of who Jesus is that day. He doesn't just heal what's broken in my physical body. He heals what's broken on my inside. He heals my broken heart. Son, daughter, he's giving you love. He's giving you acceptance. It describes his perfect father's heart. This woman had an issue with her blood. Jairus has a daughter who's about to die. Both of these stories deal with blood. Blood is a sign of life. If you see blood that is pumping in a body, whether it be animal, human, whatever, that's a sign that that thing has life. If there's no blood pumping, it's a sign, there's no life. This lady is losing her life constantly for 12 years, losing life, losing life, losing life. Jairus has a daughter who's about to have a heart that's gonna stop pumping life. I find it no coincidence that we are washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. His life given to you. That, that this woman not just experienced healing, but she experienced life restored back to her. I don't wanna steal Pastor's thunder for next week, but the daughter dies and Jesus restores life to the girl. Whether it be physical, whether it be spiritual this morning, he is the giver of life. Whether you need a miracle to your situation that is draining the life out of you or something has completely died in your life, he is the one who gives life. That's who he is. And he calls you son, he calls you daughter this morning. Every single one of us have a need for his blood to cleanse us. I need him to wash over me. And you might think, oh man, I, no, Stevie, you don't need them like I need them. No, I'm telling you right now, I am the woman with the issue of blood. I need them today. I've got to get close to them. You are the woman with the issue of blood. You have got to get close to them today. But I love the scriptures, not in my notes. Acts 27, verse 17. God's purpose in all of this was that we, his people, would seek for him and grope for him and try to find him, though he is not far from any one of us. 
he's not far from you this morning. You might have been running from him. You've been getting away from him. You've been trying to avoid church. But right now in this room, he is calling you home. He's saying, son, he's saying, daughter, I have life to give you today. With every head bowed, every eye closed across this room, nobody's looking around. Please, if you are in this room and you say, you know what, that is me. I need to give my life to him. I need to call him my Lord. I need to ask the forgiveness of my sins. If you are in this room today, would you do me a favor? We had three people do this in first service. I'm excited for today now. If that's you, would you do me a favor and raise your hand really quickly, please? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on, Jesus. Can you repeat this prayer after me? Everyone in this room, repeat this with me. Say, Father in heaven, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask that you would cleanse me with the blood of Jesus. Wash me and make me new. Jesus, I declare you are my Lord and my Savior. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna live my life for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. That was like five people. Can we lift up a shout of praise to God who's so worthy of this? Because I want to end. I want to wrap up. We got a couple minutes here. So I know football's on DVR or whatever that is. I don't know. Okay. Right now, please don't rush out of here. I'm asking you to push through the crowds today. I want for five minutes, can we push through the crowd together as a church family? I'm gonna open up these altars. If you wanna come down and worship, I'm inviting you. Please get out of your seat and come up here and worship. If you need prayer, our staff will be, some of our staff will be up here. Board members, if you're in the room, life group leaders, if you're in the room, would you do me a favor and come down. If you need prayer, find someone up here. But if you just wanna worship and fight through the crowd that you've been dealing with, you please come forward and just get to these altars, press in today, touch the fringe of his cloak. Just press into him. Would you stand with me as we sing uh, Oceans one more time? Stand with me, please.